This is the Ask Pastor Alex podcast with your host, Pastor Alex. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We're here with another episode and another question, and this is a special edition of the podcast. If I sound different, it's because we are recording in a new place using different microphones right now. And it's also a special episode for a number of reasons. First, it's going to be a little bit longer than I typically would do for one of these episodes. We are also doing a special Easter episode for this one. The question is going to be, why should we believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And then last, but certainly not least, is it's special because we have with us today for this episode my good buddy, my partner in ministry, the associate pastor of George's Creek Baptist Church, Pastor Jordan Massey. Hey, I'm here too. Yeah, Jordan, (laughs) welcome to the podcast, man. (laughs) It's good to be here. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, so I wanted to have Jordan on here because we end up almost every week at some point uh, hanging out in each other's offices, talking about the sermons that we're writing and bouncing ideas off each other. And we thought, hey man, it'd be a, a cool idea to record a podcast together Uh, especially for Easter, in talking about why we should believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And as Jordan and I were talking, we were thinking, well, there are a lot of different reasons, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of different reasons we should believe in the resurrection. But, But first and foremost, I think the main reason, and I think Jordan would agree with me, the main reason that we should believe in the resurrection of Jesus is because the Bible says Jesus rose from the grave. (laughs) Like at the end of the day, that's what matters most, right? We have all these great evidences, and we are going to get into them in just a little bit. But at the end of the day, we need to believe something because the Bible says it. And the Bible says that after three days in the grave, Jesus rose from the dead. And that does bring a little bit of a problem because, for instance, someone might say to you something like, well, I don't believe the Bible, right? Like, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a common thing. That's what you hear a lot of people say. They're like, well, that works out for you, Christians, because, you know, you believe the Bible, right. but, but what about me? I don't believe the Bible. Yeah, and so if you're witnessing to someone, if you're talking with someone, that might be a common thing that they end up saying is like, well, hey, that makes sense for you as a Christian, but I don't believe in your Bible, so that does nothing for me. And at the end of the day, I mean, it sounds weird to say this, but like, that doesn't ultimately matter because your belief in the Bible is not what makes the Bible true. The, the veracity of the Bible is not conditioned upon your belief in it, right? Yeah, and we always have to remember, too, as modern-day Christians, the Bible was here way before us, Yeah, and right. unless Jesus comes back beforehand, the Bible's going to be here long after us, too. And right, it's right. going to be just as true then as it's always been. Right. And so, like, a, an example that I would use, and I've had this conversation with some people I used to work with, is I told them, I believe in the resurrection because the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead. And they said exactly what we're talking about. And they said, well, I'm not a Christian, so I don't believe in the Bible. And I said, well, you could also believe that you don't have to pay taxes. You you could believe... That would be nice. Right, exactly. <laughs> We're around tax season. It would be nice. So, like, you you might have that belief that, hey, I don't actually have to pay taxes. And you're that's okay. You're entitled to that belief. But come tax season, the IRS is not going to go, oh, wait, hey, this guy, oh, he doesn't believe in paying taxes, so we're not going to do anything. That's fine, right? No, Would that be considered a tax write-off? No, it wouldn't. Okay. So, so they, they're going to come after you, right? You're going to be audited, and they're going to be like, where's our money? You owe us money. We're the United States government. Give us our money. So, like, 
just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean that it's no, no longer true. Or you might think of if you get pulled over for speeding and a cop pulls you over and you're like, well, I don't believe I was speeding. And he's like, well, I, I have you on radar and you were. And they're like, well, I don't believe I am. So you can't give me a ticket. And he's like, okay, you cannot believe, but you're still getting the ticket, right? Because it's documented and proved. It proved. So uh, at the end of the day, the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. The Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 that it is breathed out by God. And so if the Bible says it, it is true. And if it is true and it comes from God, that's all that we need for belief. Yeah. So, but we understand that when you are talking to others, they are going to want some other sort of belief and some, some, some other sort of evidence. And so uh, Jordan was going to, take on some of these. Yeah, and right before we really jump into those evidences, I think especially to tag off of what you were saying, Alex, about how important it is for us to understand what the Bible says, is to even understand how important the Bible itself says the resurrection is. Right. Because there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, okay, well, you, what if we just took that out? There's people that don't want to believe in miracles right, yeah, in the yeah. first place. Maybe they're okay with Jesus. Sure. You know, but they're we like, like but what he said, but yeah, but they're like, there's no way he rose from the dead, right. you silly Christians, right. right? But what the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, it talks about how important it is, yeah. right? It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus is not alive today, all this is in vain. Yeah, we have the wrong careers. Right, we're wasting our lives. (laughs) We're literally staking our lives on this. Yeah, and all the people who have done that over the centuries, the people who've given their lives for it, it means nothing if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. So this needs to be a topic that we as Christians take seriously. Yes, we celebrate it at Easter time, but we need to know why we believe it. Yeah, we need to know how foundational it is for our faith. Yeah, yeah. like you said, it, that does start with, for us, it starts with the Bible. We have to understand that the Bible says it is true, and if we claim to believe that the Bible is God's Word, then we have to believe that it's true. Okay, so let me ask you this then. The Bible also says that Jesus died mm-hmm. on the cross. Yeah. And I know people, you know people, and we see it in popular media. I mean, you think of like prominent atheists who will say, well, did Jesus actually die there? I mean, like right. Muslims, for instance. Muslims yes. believe that Allah spared Jesus from the cross and there was someone substituted in his place. So, so what I do you do I always feel bad for that person. Right. Like, <laughs> like you get none of the glory, but you get all of the You all just the get death the crucifixion part. Right, right. So, so what do you do with that then? Like how, what do you say to those people who would say, well, I don't know that I'm even convinced Jesus actually did die on the cross. Yeah, it kind of plays into that uh, swoon theory is what yeah. I grew up hearing it being yeah, called, yeah. right? That maybe Jesus just passed out yeah. <laughs> on the cross. Totally common, by the way, right? Like, yeah, and then got buried. But no, <laughs> so there are there's a good number of evidences for the fact that Jesus actually did die. And I, I want to lead off with what crucifixion actually was in the first place, yeah. right? The Romans created crucifixion as a mastery of the art of killing. It wasn't just torture. The torture was just the part of it. It's like the preamble to the final part there. Which is terrifying to even think about. Which is terrifying to think of, especially when we think of the things Jesus went through, right? Right. Before he ever even got to the cross, 
right? And then what the Romans would do is the purpose of it, you would hang on that cross, and the, the goal was, the goal, that sounds bad, but the goal would be for the victim to suffocate. Yeah. Because you're hanging there, and you're hanging uh, with your arms suspended, and it's a fight to get every single breath. Yeah, your body weight is literally crushing your lungs at that point. Yeah. And so for Jesus in particular, he has the nails most likely through the wrists, right? And every time he needs a breath at all, he has to pull up against the cross, against those nails, and also against the skin that was torn off of his back to get every single breath, right? And that wood, I mean, keep in mind, they weren't sanding it beforehand. So you've, yeah. got, you've got rough wood and an open-fleshed back with just blood coming out. I mean, right. And he's up there for hours. Yeah. And so then, after Jesus died, which, by the way, there were eyewitness accounts of his last words right before he took his last breath that the Bible says, right? That it wasn't just the, his followers. It was the Roman guard by the cross. It was other people that heard him say his last words, take his final breath. And then after he died, they went to make sure. They took the spear, yep. right? And they spear him into the side. And the purpose of that was to pierce the person's heart, yeah. right? It was like, hey, if they're taking too long, and Jesus was for yeah, them, he was yeah, taking right. too long to die. So they speared his heart. But at that point, he was already dead. Right. And we even, uh, it's, it's kind of a cool sciencey thing here. The Bible says that blood and water came out, right? And a lot of uh, modern scientists have pointed that that seems like, this is a really big term for me, Alex. I had to look this up. I'm not a scientist by we any got means. got a two-syllable word coming Yes. Out. <laughs> oh, it's more than that. <laughs> but it's pericardial effusion, wow. okay. right? Which is where at the point or right after the point of death, that water starts to form or fluid starts to form around the heart. And so when it was pierced, that was most likely, scientists believe, what came out. Hmm. Another scientific proof of death. But even, then even after that, they were going to come and break their legs. This was another tactic that they used. Again, the purpose for the Romans was to kill the victim. And to make sure that they died if they took too long, then they would also go and break the legs of the victim. Because at that point, you can't lift yourself up. You can't up. lift up anymore, yeah, right? So you don't get any breath. Yeah. But when they found Jesus, he was already dead. And they proclaimed, hey, there's no need to break his legs because he's already dead. Yeah. If they weren't sure, the Romans wouldn't have let him go. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. The, the Romans would have definitely been like, this is what we do in every other case, so yeah. we've got to break the legs. The only reason they would not have broken the legs is if he was already dead. Exactly. And why would they want in any way to keep him alive? This is a man who, at least in their minds, is a direct threat to their own king. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Someone that's being called the king of the Jews, they're not going to leave him alive. Right. But that's even fulfilling a prophecy, yeah. right? not that, a bone would be broken. That not a bone would be broken on Jesus. So they didn't even um, break his legs there on the cross. And then you can even take it as far as, let's say, sure, somehow he survived all of that. Then he goes and gets laid in a tomb, Right. If nothing else, sure. I guess he passed out. Maybe. Right. If, in, if, in this if we're hypothetical, gonna, in this... where he's already suffered, he's already been on the cross for hours. He's already, you know, had a spear through him. All that kind of stuff. The Romans have pronounced him dead. Everybody who's looking on knows that he has died at that point. There's even the Roman guard who says, "Surely we've just killed the Son of God." Like, yeah. We we've just done that. That that happened. So. If he survived all that and was just passed out, okay. Right. So then they're going to take this incredibly feeble and weak man, beaten, bruised, bloody, um, unrecognizably beaten man, and put him in a tomb by himself wrapped in burial cloths. 
right? And he's going to survive that. <laughs> True. Good point. Right? Yeah. He has no food, no water, no medicine, no one to take care of him inside of that tomb. Right. So you walk out on a busy interstate and you get hit by a transfer truck and you roll under it, under, under it. Mm-hmm. The next few cars come and get you to you <laughs> Just bleed. For good measure. Yeah, you bleed out on the highway and mm-hmm. somehow your body rolls off like onto an overpass or something. You're on the ground. Are you surviving without medical attention? I would not think so. Right, probably not. We're not medical doctors, but you know, like I don't most think likely no. Yeah, I don't think you're surviving that, and yet that's the claim is that maybe Jesus just suffered something equally horrendous, mm-hmm. where he's definitely dead, but in their theory he's still alive, and you put him in a tomb without any medical attention whatsoever, and they're saying somehow he just happened to survive. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference between what people trying to do the swoon theory or what I call the swap theory with yeah. Islam, yeah, yeah. right? Is, you know, most Islams will tell you they hold Jesus in high regard, right? And they're like, well, there's no way that God would allow Jesus to die. Yeah, they have a, a very high view of Jesus. Yeah. The thing is, though, that's exactly what Satan wants us to believe. Exactly. Right? Because yeah. Satan didn't want Jesus to die either. Yeah. Just bow down to me. I'll give you all the kingdoms. Exactly. I'll, I'll give you the crown without the cross. Yeah. It's incredibly paramount for us that Jesus physically died. Absolutely. Because that is our atonement. And so we can take what the Bible says about Jesus' death literally. We can look at the evidences that have been given, that have been shown from the Bible, from history, from science, even to show us that Jesus died on the cross. Okay. So he died on the cross, and part of the last kind of theory we were talking about is with this theory that, well, maybe he didn't actually die. We know that after three days, there was this giant stone mm-hmm. that not a single person on their own could roll away. Yeah. So they're thinking that someone who just suffered all of that and didn't receive any medical attention miraculously recovered after three days and rolled away that stone. Is that... Yeah, I mean, it's just adrenaline, right? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At that point, right? I think I'm safe. Might as well get out of here. Yeah. Like, well, the idea for that is ridiculous, and there's all kinds of theories even to this day of the stolen body, that yeah, maybe yeah. the Jews stole the body, or some will even claim that the Romans themselves stole the body, yeah. which has always been a weird one to me because that would completely undo the entire purpose of killing Jesus for them in the first place, right? Right, yeah, so... I, this is something for me because, like, I mean, you and I—we go back. We're 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 actually friends outside of ministry, so right, yeah. we just get to do ministry together, which is awesome. But uh, growing up, I wanted to be Sherlock Holmes. I thought that's going to be my destiny. Never in a million years would have thought that I was going to be a pastor of a Baptist church. <laughs> but uh, God has a sense of humor. So when I when I think of like the empty tomb, I think of a mystery because here are the facts. Okay, if you're just going to think about this very logically. Think of it as like a cool Sherlock Holmes mystery. The facts are Jesus is dead and he is put in a tomb. And then that tomb is sealed with a ginormous stone that not a single one person on their own could roll away. Right. And then outside of that tomb, there's an entire Roman guard. And we read about that in the Bible Mm -hmm. that they had placed Roman guards because they were like, hey, there was all this stuff he said about how he's coming back and all this, you know, we're, we're a little concerned it could be true. And so Pilate's like, okay, you've got the green light, go stand outside the tomb, make sure you're stationed there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, you can see the religious leaders came and they're like, he said all this. And so Pilate sends a guard. And so the facts are 
dead Jesus is in the tomb. That is sealed with a huge stone, and there's a Roman guard outside of that tomb. And then after three days, the facts state that that tomb, the, the stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty. Yeah. So my question is, you have to say, the most obvious, if you're a detective, where's the body? <laughs> right. What happened there? And as, as you pointed out, one of the most common ones is people say, well, Rome stole the body. The reason that this is ridiculous is, as you just said earlier, is because that would totally defeat the purpose, right? Yeah. The reason that Rome wanted to kill Jesus is because Jesus was claiming to be a king of a kingdom. And that was a direct threat to Rome. Mm-hmm. And Pilate even asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus was like, you say so. My kingdom's not of this world. Like, very you know, evasive answers, but like they were threatened by his kingship. And so if you have a bunch of followers who have heard Jesus say, I'm going to die, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm coming back after three days. And then as Rome, you steal the body after three days. What are the disciples going to think? Oh, Jesus is alive. We yeah. might not have gotten to see him, but this is exactly what he said was going to happen. Yeah, the Romans would do everything they could to convince everyone that Jesus is dead and he's going to stay dead. Right, yeah. They, <laughs> That's what they want. They were proclaiming victory in Christ's death, and so it would make no sense whatsoever for Rome to steal the body because then that would start off hysteria of these Jewish followers saying that Jesus is alive, that yeah. he actually did rise from the dead. And so naturally people will go, well, okay, if it wasn't Rome then maybe it was the Jewish leaders. And literally every suggestion for the stealing of the body falls on the same sword mm-hmm. because the Jewish leaders, they might have had an in with Rome, you know, and the guards and everything. They possibly could have even gotten into the tomb if they wanted to. However, if they had stolen the body, you end up with the same problem. Yep. It would have absolutely defeated their purposes. They steal the body. There's no Jesus. The disciples think he's risen. We didn't get to see him, but we know that he's risen because he's not in there, and this is exactly what he said was going to happen. Yeah, all the accounts show the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, as the ones pushing for Jesus' death more than Rome was. Right. They were the ones pulling all the strings, trying to get Jesus killed. Why? What would they have to gain from furthering a narrative that, hey, what if he's not? What if he's alive now? Yeah, exactly. So it, it makes no sense because they end up in this situation where they would want to preserve the dead body so that if anyone thought Jesus was alive, they could say, nope, come back to the tomb. I'll show you his body. He is dead. There's mm-hmm. all your hope. And so I think kind of the last one that people entertain is maybe the disciples stole the body. Right, which, which, which is hilarious because the Bible even mentions that. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That the Jewish leaders are talking with the Roman guard, and they're like, hey, what if we make up this story right, right. <laughs> just yeah. in case? What if we make up this lie and, yeah. uh, and just say that the disciples stole it? Right, and, but my other favorite you know, thing that makes that one ridiculous is, like you said before, there is a Roman guard right. out there, and that doesn't mean one, one guard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that means a like, section of soldiers that's out there guarding this tomb for this very purpose and a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors are going to come beat these fully armored soldiers and roll away the stone and get this body. The same people who, out of fear, deserted him when he was being arrested in the first place. Yeah. Those guys, you think those guys are now going to step up? They were afraid they were going to be crucified with Christ, and mm-hmm. then 
Christ was crucified. You think after seeing that, all of a sudden they're emboldened to go and challenge Rome just to steal the body of Jesus? Yeah, no, I don't it doesn't so. happen that way. And the other thing that I think makes this ridiculous is if you look at the effect that his resurrection had on the early church and on those first disciples and those first followers of Christ, is they go from these timid, scared followers to the most bold witnesses you can imagine. And literally all 12 of Jesus' disciples, apart from John, end up dying a martyr's death. And they're willing to. Peter, who denied Jesus three times because he was afraid that he was going to be crucified with him, when his time came, he said, do it upside down. I'm not even worthy to be crucified in the same way. When I think of Peter, too, I think of his, his sermon at Pentecost, right? Peter went from, like you said, being so afraid of these leaders from Rome and the Jewish religious leaders that he denied Jesus three times, one of the times even calling a curse upon himself because right, right, yeah. <laughs> he was so afraid yeah. to be recognized as a friend of Jesus. And then after he had seen the resurrected Jesus, he's so emboldened by it that he preaches a sermon flat out calling out <laughs> those very religious leaders as the ones that killed Jesus. Yes, you did this. He's pointing the finger yeah. right at them. I mean, That's you just read the first something... couple chapters of Acts, and he's always going, you did this. This is <laughs> yeah. on you. You messed up. You killed the anointed one of God. I mean, yeah, that doesn't seem like the same kind of person who doesn't have a solid reason to make that kind of change. Right, and, and so I think that's the point, is if the disciples did steal the body, would they have the type of courage that we read about in the Gospels, in, uh, in Acts in particular, in church history, where we know that they go from being timid, fearful followers of Christ to all of them dying martyrs' deaths? And yeah. I just don't think if you made that up, if you stole the body, you're not going to be willing to die for your lie. Many people no. will die for a lie not knowing it's a lie. Hardly anyone will die for a lie knowing that it is a lie. Yeah, and again, these aren't men that are like trained spies that are, you know, that are trained and hardened and ready to make up a lie and go to the grave for it. Like we said before, these were fishermen. These were tax collectors. These were lay people that just happened to be chosen by Jesus. And then now they've become the most bold men in the world. True. True. So, so I think when you look at that as a detective, the empty tomb, and you're like, okay, what makes the most sense of the evidence that we're presented? Because let's, you know, let's, let's follow the evidence to whatever conclusion it leads us to. Right. And you look at the evidence and all of the, the facts surrounding the empty tomb, and you go away thinking, okay, I know this sounds crazy. <laughs> I know it sounds impossible. But literally, the best explanation of all of the given data is that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave by the power of God. Yeah. So Jesus did rise from the dead on the third day. And that was witnessed, not just by those first disciples, but we know that Jesus had a number of resurrection appearances. And I think what's, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, is what makes those so interesting is if he had only appeared to his own disciples, then that could be easily dismissed. But the resurrection appearances of Jesus occurred in a variety of places to a variety of people. Yeah, it wasn't just his leaders. That would really feed into the idea of this being a made-up story. Right, like right? the winner's right history type deal. And- exactly. But 
history records, even outside of the Bible, even other historical sources from that time, show that there were over 500 eyewitnesses of a resurrected Jesus. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is, you know, well, sometimes I've, I've heard people say when you bring up the, hey, he appeared to over 500 people at one time, people have tried to claim that was mass hysteria or delusion right. or some sort of like hallucination. Mm-hmm. And again, if you want to just look at modern science, if you look at psychology, it has been proven that there has never been a single instance of a joint hallucination or a mass hallucination of any kind. People typically will hallucinate what they anticipate seeing. So I've read it like this is that if a person is going through some sort of psychological episode, they have all sorts of things that they anticipate that they're going to see, you know, Mm -hmm. it comes from paranoia, things like that. And so they will have a hallucination based on what they are thinking that they're going to see or what they are afraid to see or what they expect to see. Yeah. Well, the, the people that Jesus appeared to it, that the specifically the 500 people, none of them were expecting to see the risen Christ. Like no. none the, of them were. You mean they, the guy that was brutally executed yeah, publicly, the other day? Publicly executed. Yeah, in front of, in front of all of us. Yeah. Yeah. You mean, I don't think yeah no one <laughs> yeah no one in that group of 500 was expecting and anticipating Jesus to return and and be risen like he was yeah and and again besides that there are no cases of mass hallucinations right and then the other thing about it is like you said it was also a variety of people it yeah. wasn't just his apostles it wasn't even just his followers and we'll get to that in a second but this is something I've heard um, a lot of apologists mention, and I think it's really worth mentioning, is that the very first people that saw the risen Jesus and claimed to have seen the risen Jesus and took it back and that are recorded in the Bible to have seen him were women. That's right. Right? And that was a big deal because in that time, in that culture, women were not seen as a reliable source of information. So if you're writing one of the Gospels and... And again, people today will say that it's just made up stuff by Christians, by believers to, you know, make a religion out of it. Right. If you were doing that, would you choose women to be the first people to discover the risen Jesus? In that time, no. Exactly. Because if as soon as anyone wanted to take it seriously, then like any intellectuals, like we know Paul and his missionary journeys would go to yeah. the intellectual sources of those cities, right? And if he was to lead off with that, if it, he would never do that. Because right. people you, would laugh him out of the room. And yeah. we know, obviously, that's completely wrong by today's standards, and yeah, as sure. it should be, but in that time, it wasn't. Right. And they so just if, didn't trust women. If you were trying to convince, if you were making up a story and you were trying to convince someone, you would say, oh, Jesus was found by the high priest or by oh, yeah. Pontius Pilate himself. You know, Caesar, Tiberius Caesar visited Jerusalem and he, he was the first person. Like you would go to some prominent, you know, figure who had mm-hmm. some sort of respect in that society to be the one to find. Yeah, and oh yet, man, it sounds like a more epic story for Jesus to like appear first to Pilate. Right, right. And Pilate to be like, oh, I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. Let me bow down. To but, show up in Rome right in, in Caesar's <laughs> yeah. doorstep or something. Right. That would be a great story. It would, but no, he shows up to a woman who was expecting him to be dead. Yeah. Right? He shows up to her, and she's the first eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. There's no way these men would have written this account and taken it seriously in that way unless it was true. That's right. That's a great point. But then it's not just the the, wom- the women. It's also the other kind of people. 
when you think about that Jesus physically appeared to Saul of Tarsus, right? So this sure. will take place a little bit later, right? Saul at that time was one of the greatest enemies of the followers of Jesus. I mean, he's literally traveling to a city to arrest followers of Jesus. This is after he had overseen the stoning of Stephen, by the way. Right. Yeah, he was actively hunting down these Christians. Right. He had already just executed Stephen. He was persecuting the way. As he the was Bible persecuting the way. That's yeah. right. And Jesus appears to him as the resurrected Lord, and immediately this man who was a vehement enemy of Christians, of followers of Jesus, becomes one of our greatest champions. That missionary to the Gentiles dedicates his entire life to Jesus. Mm. What enemy does that? Right. (laughs) Knowing that, hey, and Paul was a Roman citizen too, knowing as soon as he makes that choice, hey, I can be tried for treason, I could be executed, I... I'm supposed to arrest myself now, right? Because right. <laughs> right? I'm a follower of the way. Yeah, now. He, he had the approval of the high priest to go and do these things. So, exactly. Yeah. So what could transform a man like that? Just the truth. And, and I think what's interesting in the case of Paul is even where people would say, and I, I, I've seen some atheists today say this, they'll say, well, clearly... Paul is an intelligent person. I mean, he was part of the the Pharisees. You know, mm-hmm. he was a, a brilliant scholar. I mean, just incredibly intelligent. And they'll say the only thing that could make him follow Jesus in this way is if he had some sort of psychological breakdown, some sort of mental breakdown, or, you know, he had a traumatic experience. They might say maybe it did happen on the road to Damascus. He had a traumatic experience, and it caused him to basically go crazy, and he became a Jesus follower. What's interesting about that, though, is you see the same rationality he had beforehand as you do after he becomes a Jesus follower. He's just as rational. He's just as logical. And what's even more interesting is that it's like his eyes are finally open. And he'd go on to say this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, where he's like, for a while, it was like we had this veil over our eyes. But because of Jesus, the veil's been torn away, and we're seeing with clear eyes now. Right. What's, what's amazing, what I'm getting at here is that he was a Jewish scholar. He was a, a Pharisee. I mean, and he would go on in, in Philippians chapter 3 to say, like, I was a, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was your guy, you know, blameless before the law. And when he understands that Jesus is the Messiah, and then he begins to look back on the Old Testament, he goes, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes total sense. This is not someone who lost his mind or had a traumatic experience or a psychological breakdown. This is a man who met the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and literally everything made sense after that. Yeah, and I think that's really the point we're getting at with this, too. It's what makes Easter such a celebratory time for us. Yeah, Because like we started um, just a little bit ago in this very podcast, is that the resurrection is everything yes. for Christianity. Without it, it's nothing else. For Paul, he thought it was following the law yeah, at first. True. Until he met the resurrected Jesus. And then everything changed for him. I think that can be said for all of us, right? Yeah. And I mean, literally, that's going to be my message this Sunday is, <laughs> yeah. is that the resurrection literally changes everything for mm-hmm. us. And we don't need to be afraid to look into it. Right. We should be excited. You know, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I tell my students all the time to never be afraid to ask the questions. Yeah, because right? here's the thing. Those questions are going to be asked of you. Yeah. And I know Christians who are afraid to 
listen to atheists give talk. I, I know Christians who are afraid to listen to anybody debate a Christian or, or question anything about the Bible, about the resurrection, because they're like, oh no, you know, I guess what if, it, what if they're right or what if they prove me wrong or something? And, and I always want to encourage Christians by saying, we already know what the Bible says, mm-hmm. and the Bible is our ultimate authority. Right. And so we don't have to worry about anything else. There's no atheist who's going to disprove the faith. Why? Because yeah. the faith is true. I mean, we, there's even modern stories of that happening with some of our most famous modern scholars, right? C.S. Lewis true. tried to do that. Lee Strobel tried to debunk the very resurrection of Jesus, yep. and what did it do when he dove into the evidence? It converted him. Yeah, he became a believer. <laughs> he became a believer and wrote a book called The Case for Christ, which is about the evidences of the resurrection. We don't need to be afraid of it. We should dive into these things because it will always point us to the truth. Right, yeah. Since since God's Word is ultimate truth, there's mm-hmm. nothing that's going to contradict it and, and prove it to be false. I mean, obviously things will go against it. People will raise objections to it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, as we've said here, we've just... You know, we've just listed all of the main objections to the resurrection and all the ways it's tried to be dismissed today. And we've shown how they all fall flat. And at the end of the day, what makes the most sense of literally all the evidence presented is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead by the power of God. And that ultimate truth is found in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think we have a very firm foundation. I think we have great reasons to believe in the resurrection. Definitely. Yeah, so uh, just trying to wrap this up, why should we believe in the resurrection? Well, first and foremost, it's because the Bible says <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. Yep. Uh, also, we know that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins and that he was definitely dead. Right. Once he was definitely dead, they put him in a tomb, and there was absolutely no way for him to get himself out of that tomb while he was dead. Mm-hmm. There was also no way for anyone else to get him out of that tomb, nor would they have wanted to, right. because it would have defeated their purposes entirely. And so the best, what makes the most sense is that Jesus rose from the dead. And then we also have the validation of the uh, post-resurrection appearances where he mm-hmm. appeared to people like women, which you would not have made up if you're trying to make up a story. He appeared to fishermen, to everyday normal people, to people who were trying to persecute his people and his mission and his church, and their lives are dramatically changed. And and again, I'll get into this you know, Sunday morning for, for my sermon, but but ultimately what, what ends up changing people's hearts is not evidence. It's right. Jesus. It's, it's a personal encounter with Jesus. Yep. And it's just like if you were a, a judge in a courtroom and you had the evidence laid before you, you then, as the judge, have to make that decision of what you do with this evidence. That's right. For the resurrection, the evidences are there. Yeah. And every single one of us are going to be confronted with that evidence if we're willing to look into it and see, like you said, all logic, all evidence, all of it points to the most obvious answer being that Jesus did rise from the dead. Right. That so he came out of that grave. So it falls on all of us. What do we do with that evidence? Yeah, what and that's a good point. What do we decide to do with it? And I think like what we were saying earlier is the way that we would encourage people is when you have all this evidence, well, for those who don't believe, we hope that this amount of evidence will encourage you to read the Bible. To, to search Jesus out for yourself, because for sure. I think this evidence, it can really captivate your mind. I think it can can challenge some maybe some notions that you hold to now. Mm-hmm. It, it can confront some beliefs that you have now. 
And when you experience that, that should force you and cause you to seek out Jesus in search for ultimate truth. Yeah. And if you are a believer, what we hope it does is simply encourage your faith. Yeah, that would encourage your faith and then make you want to tell others, right? That's what it did for all the followers of Jesus. If you truly do believe that Jesus rose from the dead... That's not something you keep to yourself. That's right. This is life-changing news. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're going to you're going to have to tell somebody. You're going to have to do something about it. Yeah. So we we really do hope that this has been a, a helpful uh, podcast for you. We wanted to do this around Easter. We wanted to you know just answer this question: Why should we believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And and I hope that you have been encouraged. I hope that you have found this answer helpful. And uh, really excited that Jordan got to be with us for this episode. So thanks, Jordan, for coming on. Yeah, it's been a blast. I love getting to talk about this stuff and just getting to hang out with you. Yeah, we'll probably do another one in the future. That'd be awesome. So appreciate the question. Look forward to answering more in the future. Mm